this season of Epiphany, right? A revelation, a, a manifestation, a time where something's known. This is the time of year that we walk through to see who this Jesus is that was born to be God with us, that was born to be Savior of the world. So last week we celebrated Epiphany where we realized that this Savior is for more than just the Israelites. The Savior is for the Gentiles. The Savior is for the world. And so on this day, when we look at the baptism of our Lord, we actually get an opportunity to hear who God says his son is, right? And so we hear in that gospel reading, you are my son. With you, I'm well pleased. Those are beautiful words to hear. See, we didn't hear that part when we walked through this text earlier in Advent. Earlier in Advent, we heard John's preaching for repentance and a baptism to repentance and forgiveness, and we ended it with John being locked up in prison. We didn't get to hear the part about Jesus' baptism. But that's what today is for. And then as the weeks go on, we'll get to hear Jesus' words of who he says he is. As we walk through John and we get to hear all the I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the vine, right? But today, today we look at Jesus' baptism. So remember the setting. People were coming around to hear this preacher, this voice out in the wilderness, this guy that was a little hard to look at, this guy that was dressed rough, he ate locusts and honey, and he was preaching a word calling people back to God. Remember the times in history where people called God's children back to him. They were called prophets, right? The children of God would walk far away from who God is, and God would send a prophet to be his mouthpiece. God would send a prophet to speak his word and let the people know that he's still with them. That's John's job. John is the last of these prophets. John is the last one to walk before Jesus, and his word got to be a little bit different because it wasn't just God is still with you and taking care of you. It's he's coming. Jesus is coming. I'm a voice in the wilderness proclaiming the way of the Lord. The way is being made. Jesus is on his way. And so people started wondering, well, maybe he's the Christ, right? Because John wasn't saying Jesus. He was saying the Messiah is coming. This one who is coming to make things right. This one who is coming with his winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat in the barn and the chaff will be burnt up in unquenchable fire. And with other good words, he proclaimed the good news to the people. That line always catches me. Because <laughs> none of that sounds like good news. But think of who John is listening to as he's preaching this, right? He's been reading Isaiah. He's been reading the other prophets. And every single other prophet is saying, when God comes... He's coming with power. He's coming with might. He's coming with majesty. He's coming to bring the low places up and the high places down. And he's coming to level things and he's coming to make things right. So John's preaching that because he knows he's the one to prepare the way of the Lord. He's the one to prepare the way of the Messiah. And so that's what he expects to see coming. And so the people question and they say, well, maybe is John the Christ? Is John this Messiah? Is John this sent one? Because he's preaching words we haven't heard for hundreds of years. And he says, no. 
No, no. I baptize you with water, right? Which was kind of new. There were washings. There were ceremonial washings. There were ritual washings. But there, there wasn't this practice of baptism yet for repentance and forgiveness of sins. He says, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me, oh man, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now remember, fire as we hear it, we think of destructive, but it's also purifying. How do you refine gold? We heat it up, right? And all the dross, all the stuff comes off and it gets burnt off and you get purified gold. We see in our wildfires, there's destruction that happens, but what happens afterwards? It's new life. Some of those seeds don't break until they get hot enough, right? There's life that can come from this too. But he's pointing to the people, and he's in his humility standing there and saying, no, I know I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one, but I'm pointing the way to him. So people were being baptized. People were coming to the Jordan. People were, were listening to what he had to say as he proclaimed God's word to them. And then in the midst of all those people, Jesus walks up. In the midst of their baptisms, in the midst of their community, in this congregation of people that's going on, Jesus walks in and is baptized as well. And we look at it and we say, why did Jesus need a baptism? for forgiveness of sins and repentance. Well, Susie and the kids were right on. He, he didn't. He didn't need that baptism. We, we do. But remember, we're, we're separate from God before baptism. We're separate because of our sin. And that's where the Israelites were standing. Jesus, though, had a different baptism. And we don't think of that very often, but his baptism was different. Okay, I want you to think back on your baptisms as I, I remember mine. Okay, I was nine years old, baptized in the Catholic Church, and as I was brought to those waters of baptism, as best I can remember, the heavens didn't open. And as best I can remember, the Holy Spirit didn't come down in bodily form like a dove. Okay? Jesus' baptism was different. It was different for good purpose. Now remember, when the heavens opened the last time, not, not at Jesus' baptism, but when the heavens opened the last time, what happened? The whole world was flooded. The heavens opening in times past was not a good thing. It was the wrath of God coming down upon creation. But in this baptism, the heavens opened with a different message. The heavens open, and Jesus' baptism, God claims him and announces that this is his son. He says, this is my son. You are my son, depending on which gospel you read. With you, I am well pleased. The heavens opened with pleasure. The heavens opened with a good word. The heavens opened pointing to the Messiah and the Savior of the world. I got pictures, and I totally forgot about them. Go ahead and go to that first one. These are pictures that are beautiful, right? This one in my mind, it, there's a peace in this baptism. There's a, a peacefulness to this picture. Maybe it's the colors. Maybe it's the slight smile on John the Baptist's face if you can see it under his beard. There's a, there's a peacefulness there. 
And that's beautiful because we remember the peaceful times at our baptism. We remember that peace that has gone on and how we are made children of God. But there's another image I've come across for Jesus' baptism, and I love this one because it carries a different weight to it. That doesn't, in my mind, portray peace. But that portrays a power. That portrays an urgency. That portrays something necessary that needed to happen. Because in that faint form, you see a Jesus on the cross. In that faint form right there, you see a Savior. You see one who's being washed as a sacrifice. Israelites knew that well. Before you'd take a sheep to sacrifice, they were all washed. Before going to the temple, there's these huge pools that they would walk the sheep through to purify them, to cleanse them before the sacrifice. The Lamb of God was being purified in this baptism. He was already pure, but this was for all the people around. This is for you, for me. This is so that we could look at that and say, I get it. Now, in this baptism, there's sonship proclaimed as well, right? Because God said, with you, I am well pleased. There's a separation there. The children of Abraham, who John called a brood of vipers, a spawn of Satan, basically. God looks at Jesus in his baptism and says, with you, I'm well pleased. Now, how do we get to a point where those could be connected at all? And it's in that baptism. Now, our baptismal life, at least mine, feels a little more like this next picture more often than not. It feels like being under a wave that's just broken. And in our baptisms, this is where we start. Because in our baptisms, we are baptized into Christ's death. Going under the waters, whether it's sprinkled or immersed, whatever you want to look at, going under those waters, we're baptized For the old Adam to drown, for sins to be buried in the tomb. And we're baptized into that life. Because remember, at your baptism, what happened? We were baptized, and we think of Jesus' baptism as well, right? We're baptized into the name of the Father, who we heard at Jesus' baptism. Present, eternal, claiming and pointing out that Jesus is his Son. You're baptized into that name. You're baptized into the name of the Son, who is tangible. He was there. He was walking along the earth within his creation. He was there in the waters. He was receiving that word from God, and you're baptized into the name of the Spirit, who is seen, physical, bodily form, descending like a dove for people to see the whole trinity present there at the baptism, the whole trinity right there for people to see, the whole trinity right there as the Messiah comes to be with his people. And in your baptism, you're baptized into that. You're baptized into that name. You're tied together with that Christ And as much as Jesus was the Son of God, that sonship is placed on you as well. So where we start before baptism, very separate and apart from God within baptism, we are a child of God. We are a child of God made so by Christ himself, 
made so by God's word tied together in that water. And when we think of those waters, we can think of Christ in the waters and think of being tied to him in that baptism. Because though we feel under the water, more often than not as we walk right now, we need to remember where Christ is. And in this next shot, this is how I think of my days, right? The day may start well, and by the end of the day, I feel under that water. I feel turbulent. There was a, a day I was out surfing in 15 to 18 foot waves, and I'm never going to do that again. But at the time, I was a lot younger, and it made a lot more sense. Actually, it didn't make sense, but it was a challenge, and somebody else was going with me. And so we went out, and I remember getting caught under the water to the point where I had no energy to get my body underwater anymore. I was done. I had nothing. And I would lay there, and the white water that it, after the wave would break would be 8 to 10 feet tall, would roll over me, and I've never experienced a feeling like that, tossed, turned, pulled down, pulled up, to a point where you don't know which way is up. And I would wait, and I would plug my nose and use as little energy as possible to hold on to my breath, and I would wait. And thankfully, there was a leash on my board that was tied to my ankle because that's about the only thing that would pull me to the surface at that point, or at least to where I could know which direction was up and find which way was up. Jesus is up. Jesus doesn't just wait for us to swim to the surface. He reaches down, grabs us into a new life, and says, you, come with me. You've been buried under the waters of baptism. You've been buried into my death, but I live, so you live with me too. Come here, child. You're mine. I'm not going to let go of you. My life will be your life. And as we walk each day and we feel like we're under those waters, turbulent and thrown around, remember that Jesus is reaching in and grabs hold of us. Because we don't have the energy to get ourselves up. We don't have the wherewithal to get to God, but Jesus takes us there. He's the one. And in our baptisms, as we remember those baptisms, those waters that have been poured over us, as you remember your baptism, remember that you are baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, who were all present at Jesus' baptism. And you walk with that sonship that God proclaimed over Jesus, and he hands it over to you as a free gift. A free gift a gracious gift, a merciful gift, something that's not deserved, but you get to walk away with something that is new. And not new once, but new daily, because God continually reaches out to us as his children, continually calls us as his children, continually claims us back from Satan and says, you're mine, because I've put my name on you. So dear Christians, as you walk each day, know whose you are. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is a child of God after baptism because he has made you so. Amen. Do you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving your creation. Thank you for redeeming your creation. Thank you for claiming and pronouncing your son at his baptism so that we could be baptized into that sonship. Thank you for making us yours 
as you promise in your words at baptism to claim our souls, as you make things right through Jesus, we pray that you would send us out with strength to know who we are, that we are not lost, that we are not separate from you, but that we are yours. Guard us and keep us in faith and send a healthy measure of your Holy Spirit each day to point our eyes to you so that we could proclaim your truth to all those you bring into our lives. In your son Jesus' name, amen.